Good evening. Scripture reading for this evening is Exodus 32, verses 21 through 24. Again, that's Exodus 32, verses 21 through 24. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any of you who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you this evening. It's always a a pleasure of mine to worship God and to worship God with these good folks at Broadway. And thank you for coming and being with us tonight and for your participation in our worship service. For those who are visiting, we're always very happy to have you. It's always such an important time for us to be together, and we look forward to spending time to get to know you even better. And we encourage you to come back and be with us whenever you possibly can. I don't know of a family that had more outstanding children than Amram and Jochebed did. I mean, if you look at Miriam, the daughter, she was a prophetess. If you look at Aaron, the son, well, he was a high priest. If you look at Moses, another son, the great lawgiver. Now, I've read in the Bible the people who had great children, but... These have got to be gifted children and a gifted family. Micah chapter 6 and verse 4, Micah makes mention of this. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I set before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. These are important people in the history of the children of the Old Testament. But I don't know of another as gifted as these. You have the seven sons of Jesse that we read about in the pages of the Old Testament. Uh, you have the mother of James and John in the New Testament and, and the family of Peter and Andrew and then Philip who had four daughters who prophesied. And they were all very gifted people, but I don't know of anyone that had a family as gifted as this family has with regard to their children. Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. Well, Mar- uh, Aaron was three years older than Moses, Exodus chapter 7 and verse 7. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke before Pharaoh. And I want to spend uh, some time tonight discussing that individual of that family. We've spent a lot of time talking about Moses and the great things that were involved in his important part that he played in the lives of the children of Israel. But tonight I want to talk about Aaron. And as you can see before us, there's a certain event that took place in the life of Aaron that I want to make mention of and see if we can learn from it. Tonight I want to look, first of all, at his life. I'd like to take some time to study the Scriptures, and as you follow along with me, we'll look at Old Testament passages, and we'll consider some highlights of the life of Aaron, and we'll see a remarkable individual when we do that. And then I want to look at a part of his life where he's blaming others for the problems that he involved himself with. By doing that, the next logical step would be for us to analyze excuse-making in general. 
And then, of course, we want to make proper application to ourselves. Are there some lessons that you and I can learn with regard to this Old Testament individual and the problem that he faced? I don't want you to think that Aaron is such a a bad guy here. You may be getting the idea that Aaron is really an inconsequential person, but he was not. He was a remarkable individual, and I think you'll agree with me as we continue through our study tonight just how important he really was. One of the things that I want to talk about tonight is his life, and I see every time I go to any kind of Bible index or any kind of word search, and I'm looking up people of the Bible, Bible characters, Bible people, one thing that I see over and over again is the fact that his name comes up first, simply because of the spelling, I'm sure. If you go to ISBE, ISBE is the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It's a rather old edition now, but it's still very valuable in your research. And if I may divert uh, just a little bit from the main point, if you're not familiar with ISBE, Again, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Become acquainted with it. It's in public domain now, and you can get it for free on the Internet. And uh, I would download it if I were you. I would avail yourself of that information. There's a lot of good information in that encyclopedia with regard to the Bible. Uh, The point that I'm making for the present is that this is a very important character from the pages of the Old Testament. He's the first high priest. Uh, He's an individual who was a spokesperson for Moses. He becomes the model for all the high priests that are to follow him. He remains with Moses even though Moses is in exile in the wilderness. Aaron remains with the children of Israel. But then there comes a time when he meets up with Moses at Mount Sinai. And God is telling Moses, you know, Aaron is coming uh, to meet you. I think I'll read a verse or two out of Exodus chapter 4. I hope you follow along, and you may want to mark a passage or two in the pages of your Bible. They're somewhat consequential to our study tonight. If you'll notice in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and he met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. If you go back earlier in the chapter, I'm in Exodus chapter 4, notice verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And I don't think he means there just to see Moses, his brother, again. Though that no doubt would be part and parcel of some of the matter of being glad in his heart. But I think the matter of being glad in his heart also has to do with the recognition of the important part that Moses is going to play in God's divine plan of freeing the children of Israel. He knows something of the talents of Moses, something of the ability of Moses, and he was glad in his heart to see him. Moses, of course, is offering one excuse after another, and there's a wonderful Bible study involved in that with regard to the excuse-making of Moses. But God says, I'm going to send you Aaron. Aaron's your brother. He speaks well. He's able to speak to the people, and when he gets there to you, he will be glad in his heart. Glad in his heart, I think, to see Moses, his brother, but also the fact that he understands God is going to be using Moses and using him in this wonderful way. In chapter 4 and verse 16, I'm still there for the present. He's a person who can speak well, and I think that will help us understand a little later 
something of the significance of his role in this matter. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. In other words, you're going to tell him what needs to be said. And Aaron, who is an eloquent type person, he'll be able to say it for you. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 7. In Exodus chapter 7, you see this important point with regard to Aaron, that he becomes as the brother of Moses, his spokesman. And the Lord said to Moses, the word Moses, a Hebrew word which means drawn from the water, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. So there is this team relationship, Moses and Aaron working together, working together the great plan and the will of God. By the time you get further into Exodus chapter 7, you see that Aaron is the one who follows the lead and follows the instruction of Moses with regard to the miraculous work that proves that God wants his people to go. And he stands before Pharaoh and performs these miraculous works which come from the power of God and which come from the instruction of Moses. It is Aaron of Moses as they fight against the Amalekites. And as the battle would go on and Joshua was leading the front, there Moses, his hands would fall down and the Amalekites would begin to prevail. And they put a stone under Moses and they would lift up his arms, one on one side and one on the other. And as the battle would rage on, the children of Israel would prevail. And it was Moses that was playing such an important part that day. But Aaron was right in there with him playing that important role of holding up the hands of the great leader of God's people. Aaron is a great man. But then there comes this particular incident in his life where we see in Exodus chapter 32, Aaron makes a terrible mistake. And I wonder, as great a man as Aaron was, what is there here that really brings about this mistake in his life? It's in Exodus chapter 32, and it begins at about verse 21, which we've read as our lesson text tonight. And I have to say just a little bit with regard to the background of this passage that you have uh, the children of Israel are wondering about Moses. He's on Mount uh, Sinai, and God is giving him the great law that they will live by and the covenant that they would follow. The children of Israel uh, became a nation at Sinai, They had a covenant with God. They had the laws of God to follow. But they also built a golden calf at at Sinai. And I have to explain and wonder why this actually took place. They begin to pressure Aaron. And Aaron says, take off your gold. And he took it and threw it into the fire. And as he took it and received the gold from the fire, he formed and fashioned a golden calf. And of all things, Aaron says, now this is the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And they worshiped the calf, and they made a feast for the calf. God is filled with fury and anger over this. He tells Moses what the children of Israel are doing down at the foot of the mountain. But Moses, being the meekest of men, pleads in their behalf. God is saying, I will take you, I will wipe them out, and I will take you and fulfill the promise I made to Abraham through you and your lineage. And God says, no, please don't do that. If we do that, then, of course, Pharaoh will think that we just led the children of Israel out as a trap. And so, basically, God allows Moses to handle the chastisement and the disciplining of the wayward Israelite people himself. 
And when Moses comes down from the mountain, he's red hot. He's mad. And we see this image in verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Moses was gone for an extended period of time, and they were fearful that he was dead. What now? Our leader is dead on Mount Sinai, a presumption they had no right to make. For I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So that they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. You know, Moses had had his temptations, but Aaron did too. And the problem that Aaron is the orator's temptation. The orator's temptation is a temptation to speak so as to please the crowd. Speak so as to please the people. Here, Aaron was a man who could speak well. He should have used his skills and his abilities to turn the crowd away from sin and to turn them back toward faith in God. They put pressure on the orator, and the orator knuckled under and gave them what they wanted to hear and did what they wanted to do. This was the sin which he involves himself in. He didn't use his Verse 21, and Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? It was Aaron who said, now take your gold, your earrings from off your ears and your rings and all your jewelry. And he took it and he melted it in the fire and then he formed and fashioned a calf. I don't know what the calf would have looked like. I assume it would have been like some of the idol-worshipping people of Egypt, that they would form a calf like that. If that were the case, then, of course, it was probably made of some kind of wood and overlaid with pure gold. And as he does that, he says, Now this is the God that has brought you out of the land of Egypt. How he could say that, how he could do that. We look back in hindsight and we think, Why did he let the crowd put such pressure on him? Why does he allow the people to pressure him to say and do the things which he did? The sin at Mount Sinai is not something that we should overlook, but it's something that we should learn very carefully. I think if I look carefully at the life of Aaron, I think I can see a pattern here. Here's a leader of God's people, but he becomes weak. He becomes timid and does not stand up for the truth of God and the word of God like he should. You'll remember in Leviticus chapter 10 and the sin of Nadab and Abihu, how that they offered strange fire for the offering, offering a fire which they had no authority to offer. And God brought fire upon them and destroyed them. And Moses is there. But even there in a situation, the Bible says in verse 3, Aaron remained silent. In Numbers chapter 16 and the rebellion of Korah, Nathan, and Abiram, There they were involved in moving away from God and were intertwining the people 
with regard to their own authority rather than the authority of Moses and Aaron, and God struck them dead by means of the plague. There again, Aaron is silent in the matter. In Numbers chapter 12, he joins with Miriam in a revolt against Moses, and he's saying that Moses is taking too much authority, and now he's with her, and he's rebelling against God's anointed leader of his people. He pleads tenderly for her while she is afflicted with leprosy because of God's chastisement upon her. In Numbers chapter 20, Aaron is a follower again with Moses at the waters of Meribah and the sin that was committed at Kadesh Barnea. There, instead of speaking to the rock as they were instructed to do, Moses smote the rock and water came forth. But because of that, Moses was not allowed to go into the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, because he failed to give God the glory and he failed to give God the credit. But our point of study and our point of reference tonight is that I think I see some pattern there in the matter of Aaron. Aaron is weak. Aaron is somewhat timid. And when the chips are down, it's difficult for Aaron to stand up with regard to the matter of God and his people. And so it comes to Exodus chapter 32 and verse 21. He's somewhat timid in this particular matter because the pressure's on him and the people want it this way. And therefore he caves in because that's what the people want. Rather than doing what God wants, he participates in their idolatry. He builds for them a golden calf and leads them in the wrong way. How could he have done that? How could he have made such a mistake? A man that had such a great beginning. The weakness of him as a leader, the timidity of him as a leader of God's people, speaks volumes for us even today. Leaders of God's people must not be weak. Leaders of God's people must not be tempted. But I'll speak more about this section whereby I want to talk about lessons that you and I can learn. What he's doing is conforming to the crowd rather than standing up as a singular voice for God and saying, this is the will of God, this is what we will do. No doubt he felt like, I'm in the minority here. There are all these people here and they are putting the pressure on me to do something. I don't know what's happened to Moses. Moses is up on the mountain. What shall we do here? So what does he do? He conforms to the desires of the people. Even though the desires of the people are foreign to God. Aaron was too timid. Aaron was weak. The Lord was angry with him. If he had stood his ground and said, No, we're not going to do that. Because the Bible, the Word of God does not authorize that. No. We're not going to do that. We're going to worship Jehovah God and Him only will we serve. We're not going to build a golden calf. We're not going to go back to Egypt. We're not going to worship the gods of Egypt. We're going to worship Jehovah God because He brought us out of the land of Canaan. If He just stood His ground, even though He was in the minority, He could have swayed them to His side and His position. Weak leaders can ruin the multitude. Weak leaders do not have the determination to do the will of God as God has given can lead the people astray. Well, I want to press on and talk a little bit about who he blames for this matter. And in Exodus chapter 32 and, and 21, 
he tells us where the blame should be. Now, it was Matthew Henry, the expositor, who said, Sin is a brat that nobody is willing to own. Is probably well said. Nobody wants to own up to the mistake. No one wants to own up to the problem. So what does Aaron say? Now, when he's confronted about the matter, in verse 21, And Moses said to Aaron, Why did this people do to you, what did they do to you, that you have brought such a great sin against them? And Aaron said, I'm in verse 22, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they're set on evil. This is an evil bunch. This is a hard bunch to corral. It's a hard bunch to handle. They're set on evil. They have their set sail, their sail set in a particular direction. Now, the people were implicated in this matter. You know, they're guilty. They suggested the idea. They brought the pressure upon Aaron. But Aaron failed to do his duty and stand up for God like he should have. And so the sins of the people became part of their life as a result of Aaron and his negligence in the matter. Aaron didn't point out the fact where the wrong really lies. And that's the way it is with folks. We fail to see who the culprit is. It was his weakness. And his weakness was as bad as his wickedness. He was a weak leader. And he blames the people. We do that sometimes. We blame this. Oh, it might be the environment. We blame that. It might be the community. We blame this. It's the people. It's the people that I... The ones. The people are set on evil. Verse 22. That was partly true. The people were set on evil. But that's not the whole truth. The whole truth was the matter that they were set on evil and they wanted to do this evil thing, make an idol and actually say that this idol brought us out of the land of, of, land of Egypt. But yet Aaron is equally guilty. I think there's a pattern there. In Genesis chapter 3, you have the garden and the tree which is in the midst of the garden. And God telling them, Do not eat of that tree in the midst of the garden, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But you know that was more subtle than any beast of the field. And he came to Eve, and he tempted Eve, and she ate, and she gave to her husband, and he ate of that forbidden fruit. The Bible text says, in the cool of the day, almost like a plantation owner, having this wonderful relationship with Adam, but now because of sin, the separation takes place. And he calls out, Adam, and you understand that Adam is hiding and that Eve is hiding. And he asks them, have you eaten of that tree which I told you not to eat of? And Adam says in verse 12, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. So he turned to the man, then the, the, turned to the woman. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
Can we see a pattern here? How that we want to blame others for the wrongs that we've committed? Shouldn't we be looking in the mirror to see who really is at fault here? That's the very thing that 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul was a great king to begin with. Had a kingly bearing about him. Head and shoulders above all the children, the princes of Israel. There in turn, he has a miserable ending. Saul there is ready to do battle with the Philistines at Michmash. But Samuel's not there. He's waiting for Samuel. He waits seven days. Verse 8. Samuel, of course, in this respect, waits. And so Saul offers a sacrifice which he did not have authority to offer. He went beyond the scope of God's revelation. That was the priest and his responsibility. Samuel comes just as soon as he offers the sacrifice. He says, Saul, what have you done? And Saul said, When I saw from me, and they did not come within the days appointed, uh, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself, and I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command, the blaming, trying to find excuses, looking to other people for the wrongs that Saul had committed. Saul was guilty of this particular crime, but yet he didn't want to own up to it. Saul was guilty of going beyond the will and the word of God, but he didn't want to say anything. He wouldn't want to say that about it. Notice how he rationalized. He tries to give some kind of rationale for his sinfulness and his failure to obey. Well, I saw this circumstance, and I saw that circumstance. You weren't here. I saw the Philistines gathering at Michmash. I, w- I saw how that the, my soldiers were fearful of the great army of the Philistines. Something had to be done here. So I went ahead and did that, rationalizing away his sin, blaming his sin on other people. I think I see a pattern there with regard to blaming other people. This is what weak people do. They blame others. They don't recognize the blame really lies with them. We really need to understand that. Modern prodigals blame others. They complain others rob them. Or fellow workers bid them to do this or that. Or they become victims of their circumstances. We blame, we blame, we blame, and we make every attempt to put it on others which probably is evidence of our own weakness when we do that. Sometimes others are responsible, yes. Sometimes others contribute to our own mistakes, yes. But we are the ones who need to take responsibility for our own misdeeds and our own actions. One thing is for sure. We can try to blame others, rationalize, and we can try to get by with it as best we can, but we're not going to fool God with that. God knows our heart. He knows what we did. He knows our mistakes. And we just fool ourselves when we think we've got everybody fooled. Let's not try to use that kind of excuse making. But that naturally brings me to that point. Of all the excuses that could be offered with regard to that. Now, I wasn't in that situation, and I'm thankful for that. 
But I think I could have come up with a better one than this. But I'm glad that I wasn't tempted in this way. And I'm glad I wasn't called upon to give a rationale for what I did. But it seems to me that this is one of the most ridiculous excuses that I've ever read in the pages of the Bible. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off, so that they gave it to it into the fire, and out came this calf. It's one of the most lame excuses that I've ever seen or ever heard of. It reminds me of the little schoolboy where the teacher is saying, Johnny, stop blowing that whistle. And he says, well, the whistle just blows by itself. Or the youngster who's helping their mother clean the dishes in the, in the kitchen. And she says, would you stop breaking the plate? She says, I just picked the plate up and it broke. Look at the excuse be offered. I think one of the classic excuses would have to be 2 Samuel chapter 11. And you'll remember what's taking place in that context. You see, David has been involved in Sheba, and he has finally, trying to cover up the sin, sent out her husband Uriah the Hittite into the hottest, most part of the battle, and of course he dies as the result of that. When news comes back with David and the death of Uriah the Hittite, David makes this statement, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and the verse is verse 25. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours, and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage him. Now what is David doing there? Other than trying to offer an Well, this is just the fruits of war. Sometimes... In battle, this one dies. Sometimes in battle, that one dies. And this is just the result of going to war with an enemy. Tell Joab, don't be discouraged by that. Joab, do a better job next time, and don't worry about it. Well, that wasn't the intent of David's heart at all. David had actually engineered the situation. He's offering an excuse. That's just the way war is. People die. But I think the lamest, which really shows a lack of responsibility, is found for us in our text tonight, Exodus 32 and 24. I threw the gold in the fire, and out came a calf. It shows the weakness of the man. No one compels us to sin, God gave us freedom. We choose between right and wrong, and we decide which it will be. It's our prayer and our deserted, asserted study that we choose to do righteously. I want to spend a brief moment or two making proper application. And I've been doing that a little along through our study tonight, but I want to put more weight on this particular matter. In one of the important lessons that we should learn... We ought to be watchful in this matter. We can't be too critical of Aaron. We can see the mistakes that Aaron We better watch out for ourselves. We can see that Aaron was the kind of individual who started out well, 
but yet he had a difficult problem and he committed a terrible sin, the sin of idolatry. But I've got to be careful myself because it's easy for me to fall into the same temptation and yield to it. You know, when everything's going well and everybody's happy and everybody's getting along well, then naturally there's not much of a difficulty to face there. But let there be conflict in the congregation. Let there be conflict among brethren. And it's not so easy to stand for the truth now. Now the pressure's on. And there's a pressure pulling one way or pressure pulling another way. We've got to decide this is the will of the Lord. This is where we will take our stand, regardless of the pressure here or the pull of the pressure there. It's easy to be faithful when everything's going well. Let us watch out that we do not succumb to the orator's temptation and speak to the pleasingness of the crowd or rattle the sabers so that they can come to understand our position and thus be a favorable position to other people. Remember Peter. Peter faced temptation. She says, you are one of them. And he would curse and say, I never knew him. I didn't know anything about him. She says, yeah, but your speech betrays you. I know you're a Galilean. You have a way of speaking. You have a certain accent about you. You were with him. And he would rail against that and say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't blame him. And I certainly don't boast myself. Because we never really know how we're going to turn out when the chips are down. Let's pray that we remain faithful. Let's pray that we want the praise of God more than the praise of men. Let us be careful ourselves that we don't succumb to such a temptation to try to gain favor with the people rather than gain favor with God. There's another point I wanted to spend just a brief amount of time talking about. And I think it's a remember, let's be charitable in this matter. Uh, when we see someone who proves to be weak in a situation such as we've described tonight, and that person repents of their sins, let's be charitable in that matter toward them. Let's not be harsh, and let's not be cruel. And let's not always hold this over their head. But when mistakes are made and mistakes are repented of, let's be charitable one toward the other. You know, an interesting fact about the situation in the life of Aaron and the matter of Moses. After this came up, uh, Moses never held this against Aaron. And as far as I can read, I don't see where Moses ever condemned Aaron about this particular matter. What I do read in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 20 is this. As Moses recounts that scene which happened long ago, and the Lord was so angry that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. I admire Moses. I really do. And I know you do as well. Let's be charitable toward the mistakes of others. This doesn't mean condone error. We're not condoning sin, but we're being charitable toward the sinner to help them to repent. And I think we need to remember this point. God's grace, whenever 
sin is repented of. That God's grace will be there for us as we repent of those sins and we become more faithful to God and we become stronger in our devotion to God. You know, two months after this, where Aaron makes a silly, flimsy, shallow excuse, this calf just jumped out of the fire. He's made high priest of the children of Israel. God, in turn, through grace, had made him a better high priest. Even though he was guilty of sin, still he was a better high priest, better qualified now because of the mistake which he had made in order to lead the people of God. But I'll tell you what, brethren, I'm encouraged by this because we have a great high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Aaron was a high priest, but he was a sinner. But we have a high priest who pleads for us and serves us with regard to the great throne of God, yet that high priest who understands everything about sin and temptation, yet without sin, never yielding to the temptation, the perfect sacrifice for me and for you. Lest I leave Aaron in a bad light, I'd like to have an Old Testament passage in Psalm 106 that you may or may not be familiar with. In Psalm 106, when this particular psalmist is recounting these events, and I'll not be able to go through the context of the passage as much as I would like to due to a lack of time, there is this statement about him in verse 16. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram, Fire also broke out in their company and flame burned up the wicked, verse 18. The reason I thought of that passage is he's described in this English Standard Version as the Holy One of the Lord. King James translation, I think, would translate that. He is described as a saint of God. So lest we get a warped view of who and what Aaron really was and the mistake that he made. Let's recognize that this was a great servant of God. And I can learn a great deal from him. I can learn a great deal about loyalty to Christ, faithfulness to God, devotion and dedication to the will and the word of God. If you look at this man's life as portrayed from the pages of the Bible, and you're saying, yes, I've made mistakes too, then let's make correction about it right now. Yeah, I can relate to Aaron of the mistake which he made, and I've done a lot of excuse-making, and I've done a lot of mistakes too in my life, then let's correct those mistakes. But let's do it according to the will of God. You've never been obedient to the gospel of Christ. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. And confess your faith in Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And be baptized into Christ, that is, immersed in water, for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. The Lord will add you to His church, the people of God. Not a denominational body, but the church that you read about in the pages of the New Testament. Or if you've been unfaithful, 
Think about Galatians chapter 1, how important it is to turn back to the Lord. We studied this morning such an important subject of rededication of life. Let that be the consideration of your life and your heart tonight, if that is the need. And if you're really not able to talking about, if you really don't understand the gospel plan of salvation, then let's get together and study the Bible and study it out together. And one thing is for sure, whatever the Bible says is right. And another thing is for sure, we're going to do what the Bible says. Why not do it tonight? Won't you come? While together we stand.